0: Welcome to the Intercut Podcast, the weekly show going over the TV, movies, and entertainment that people can't cut away from. I am your co-host, Zachary Shevich, and joining me, my
1: wife, it's Arturo Zurita. Both of our partners are going to be very... (laughs) I wonder if they even listen to our podcast after listening to us throughout the entire week, but I think we could get away with that one. Uh, No, I'm excited. Yeah, we got got some Borat news to talk about as well as a bunch of other movies that we've been catching up. Yo, just wrapped up. We counted it. 70-something movies off of St. Louis. I don't even want to look back at what we ended up with Chicago. There's been a lot of movies, but hey, I've been thankful that we've at least had an opportunity to continue to still, because vast in the cinema, just not in the cinema, but Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, the cinema has come to the home with all these virtual film festivals. It's been a productive time if uh, your productivity includes watching lots of movies, as Art and I try to do. Uh, But a lot of really interesting films, some of them being uh, nominated as their country selection for best foreign language film for the Oscars. Some of them getting recognition from... The Ida Awards or the Gotham Awards or the Critics' Choice Awards, a bunch of stuff uh, developing as we head into award season. So it's an exciting time to be watching movies and talking about movies. we got a bunch to uh, discuss from Doc NYC as well as some others. So in a little bit, we're going to talk about all of that as well as Wonder Woman 1984, Black Panther 2 and Netflix. But first, make sure you're subscribed to the Intercut podcast, either the video podcast on YouTube.com slash Intercut pod or the audio podcast available on most podcasters. Also, follow Intercut on social media, whether it's Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. We are at Intercut. Cut pod that's at intercut p-o-d that's short for podcast and remember drop us a five-star review on the apple podcast itunes review area Uh, we really appreciate that appreciate that it helps the show grow a lot shout out to meg sparrow who said my favorite film podcast i absolutely love this podcast since i've started listening i've gotten into film a lot more and it's been super fun you guys always facilitate really interesting conversations and i'm always excited for the next episode thank you meg we're excited to have you with us again uh leave us that five-star review we really really appreciate that but art let's start the show the way we started every week here with what we are watching what you've been watching
1: i know we have a couple of virtual links for some narratives but let's start let's start with the doc stuff because they've been rolling out with a bunch of good things have you been able to catch Belushi?
0: Uh, no, I haven't. Did you see Blue She?
1: Not yet, but I also wanted to mention one that if you don't have showtime, you'll be able to catch it on this list uh, as nice. well. That's one of the ones that I've been looking forward to. We did yeah. catch, though, Chasing Childhood, which is also on this Dear right. 70 list. So if you want to talk a little bit more about that one right there.
0: Yeah, that's one that we haven't had a chance to talk about at all, I think, on Intercut yet. And it's a very interesting documentary. Uh, one that definitely was a, a bit frustrating to watch because you, I think as people who have grown up in the age of uh, you know, parental invol- over-involvement. Some of this might feel familiar either to your own life or to people you know's lives. Uh, but A Chasing Childhood is this documentary that talks a little bit about how the uh, ways in which parenting and parenting culture has evolved has deprived a lot of kids of the pleasures of childhood the unstructured play Mm -hmm. and and the freedom of movement and freedom of advancing responsibilities uh and the kinds of effects it's having on children and communities whether that's increased stress or increased anxiety i I thought it was a really fascinating look at uh the way in which parenting has become uh this uh, this overbearing element in a lot of people's lives I don't, I don't know what you thought of the documentary
1: um i'm not a big fan of helicopter parents i have been around helicopter yeah. parents even when i've taught at some schools as a parapro as well but i thought it was a very interesting look uh added in that idea that yeah there just continues to be more after-school activities more after-school activities that you know growing up i saw that 315 on the clock <laughs> i was ready to get out they don't see that anymore because it's just more and more and more and more stuff. Um, no, but it was a very fascinating look at how parents just see their kids as investments, you know? And there's been a lot of narratives that have also covered that aspect of it and where they are investing into their future through their child, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I-, I really like one of the antidotes that they brought up. There was a, a woman named Lenora Scanassi, I believe is how you pronounce her name, and her article about why I let my nine-year-old ride uh, the subway. And she was yes. like, oh, I-, I was just a writer. I pitched this. when." everywhere and she was on all these talk shows where they grilled her for being a bad parent for allowing uh, any type of that space so it's definitely one of those docs that uh, I'm sure if a helicopter watched it they're a helicopter parent watched it they're just gonna be like oh but I don't know about that why would you let your your kid do that and it almost kind of shows the divided the divisiveness that we have right now in the country where a lot of people are like no your kid needs to be protected from everything no your kid needs to be rolling around in the dirt so that uh, they're they're not as prone to all these infections and stuff but the one thing I wish they covered a little bit more is that they focus a lot and they even say the line this isn't just happening to wealthy families who have the ability to put everybody to put their kids in all Mm -hmm. of these extracurricular activities Um, it's happening to you know middle class families but I wish they covered it Because it's more than that. It's deeper than that, you know? It's also just like social media and how much that's taken away um, from living as a kid and not being embarrassed about anything because now everybody watches everything you do. Uh, And then there's the other aspect of it, which is not so much extracurricular activities, but just getting a job to be able to support your family. Um, Mm -hmm. But nonetheless, very interesting uh, documentary that is also available here.
0: Yeah, it definitely takes... uh place from a somewhat privileged perspective and even though it brushes up on that subject it could dive a lot deeper into that because I think the issues that it is discussing are issues that are felt beyond uh, you know upper middle class parents yet I think a lot of the causes that they're talking about, whether that's like after-school piano or whatever it is, uh, are, are more rooted in one specific uh, point of view. It's a very, like, Connecticut-based movie uh, documentary. Yeah,
1: which which but, isn't bad. But yeah. once you get to the virtual class side of it, yeah, that affects everybody. And I think that, that right. this dog definitely, uh, if it had a chance to edit one more thing in there, they would have been like, and virtual classes did not help.
0: <laughs> it, it is a little bit Hard, I think, for us to maybe judge as non-parents, yeah. But I do think, like you know, you see these things happen in the real world, and, and they are frustrating. Uh, maybe from your own perspective, like I know the things that I enjoyed about childhood, or the things that maybe I wanted to enjoy more about childhood. It, there's certainly a lot of elements working against children getting that type of childhood experience now uh, that are addressed in this documentary. Not, not a very rivetingly uh, structured documentary, but a fascinating subject that's covered pretty interestingly.
1: For sure. Uh, A couple of the other ones that I was looking forward to was The Dissidents, which I know is playing there, Mm Hamtrack USA, Um, but The Dilemma of Desire, I want to talk about really quickly because I saw this one popping up. Fantastic poster. Got to catch this one over at Sliff, which I hope they renamed to just (laughs) St. Louis International Film Festival. Uh, This one was really cool because it pretty much just talks about how... uh, the female gaze, but but more so how the desire of sexuality is very much limited in movies, in just the way people talk to each other. It's in the music we listen to, uh, more on the male side of things, and less I uh, less on the female side of things. And I thought it was a very uh, interesting look at the effects of. You know, what we saw this year, <laughs> we had a really big number one rap song that came out that a lot of people protested. When ironically, you have a lot of other songs that talk about, you know, very similar sexual issues, um, but it was never up at the forefront. And I think they they like dive into the the culture of vibrators and who originally made vibrators and stuff. It's definitely not one to catch with the family, but I still right. think it's one that's interesting because uh, it does affect you once you reach that age. You know, not wanting to teach your kids sexuality. Yeah, it goes again with the doc we just talked about, but at the same time, there's ramifications to that, and what you're saying, boys are allowed to be boys, but girls may not be allowed to Mm. be what they can be. Um, There's a lot more that I want to say about this, but without spoiling it too much, because I know this is, like, barely starting its run, not too much out there about that one, but I would highly recommend um, that one, and Finding Yingying, which we talked about earlier as well. Yeah. Oh, that was so one of your crushing. favorites
0: from uh, Chicago, I want to say.
1: I don't, I, if a movie can make you almost cry, the, the documentation of this case, yeah, I would highly yeah. recommend it. I mean, you could search up the entire case online as well. But it does a beautiful job at um, capturing Ying Ying's diary, which uh, one of her classmates who documents the entire thing through her parents' perspective, um, she's able to incorporate that. And I think she did a really good job at uh, telling your story.
0: Yeah. Gunda is another one that we've Ooh. talked about on this before just an absolutely gorgeous film uh, the, the most beautiful black and white cinematography that you'll probably see this year uh, telling s- s- through no dialogue at all just the sound of hooves and pig snorts and stuff like that the story of life on the farm for a series of animals particularly this one mother pig and her piglets uh, it, it's A stunning piece of work it is very slow moving and uh very 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 uh intentionally paced in its way Mm -hmm. but i think if you get into the rhythms of the movie it's one of the most affecting pieces of film that i've seen all year
1: yeah most people are going to say it's pretentious for sure yeah It's also pretty great. I was not expecting Mm -hmm. that ending in that final shot for something that has absolutely no dialogue, absolutely no score. They did not add any sound effects whatsoever. It is all caught on camera right there at that moment. Uh, And like you said, the way that they caught it in black and white, I think makes for some of the most beautiful shots. But that poster is absolutely stunning. And there's a message for sure without pounding over your head.
0: Yeah, I, I don't think it's over the top in its messaging. Some people have felt like it's propaganda. I don't think it's propaganda. That's no, because they
1: felt it, though. That's because they felt <laughs> it. It's because they had just started a Big Mac.
0: Yeah. Look, there's like a, a minute long shot in this film that very slowly creeps in on a cow's eye until you see like a single tear or whatever it is mm-hmm. rolling down its face. If that sounds like something you want to invest your time into, then Gunda is going to be a movie yeah. for you. If not, then
1: maybe wait till Hulu. let this it's picked up by Nia
0: yeah another one of the really interesting documentaries that I saw at Doc NYC is Mayor it's a movie about Musa Hadid who is the mayor of Ramallah it's a city in Palestine and it's just a very interesting movie showing you kind of the day-to-day life of this bureaucratic employee but he's facing this extreme circumstance in that he's in a nation which isn't officially recognized by the other nation that it's within. Uh, so, So funds aren't easy to come by and there's constant disruptions from forces coming through or violence erupting. And seeing this guy who's so focused on opening this new fountain which will be a beautiful fountain for people to come and see while there's a literal war raging around him is just a fascinating juxtaposition mm-hmm. there's just some really jaw-dropping moments in the movie that you can't turn away from uh, and, and i don't think the documentary goes over the top in how it depicts them it kind of is very Verite, just sort of sitting there in the moment. Yeah, you kind of, sometimes your attention is focused to the cameraman and how is this cameraman deciding how close to get to this violence? But like, for the most part, it's just showing you what day-to-day life is like in Ramallah and uh, what it's like for these government officials who are are a bit trapped in their jobs for various reasons. I, I thought this was one of the more fascinating documentaries I've seen recently.
1: Uh, yeah, these festivals, they had... We talked about City So Real, gave that one a big thumbs up. Uh, I know another one is City Hall, which, you know, City So Real Chicago. City Hall is Boston. Yeah, Those were 270-plus <laughs> minutes. This one's only 90 minutes, so... Uh, I, I've been on board with all of these uh, documentaries just kind of covering the ins and outs of the bureaucracy that goes on. One of the more interesting aspects of this one was when they're arguing in that one scene about, like... The license plates and the slogan for the town because it's not just yeah. about the like w- the morals or, or the values behind it it's actually marketing it's like this mm-hmm. is the phrase you are going to see on the license plates on everything and i just started thinking about like the ones in illinois and the ones everywhere else and you realize what really goes into it is is there's a lot of marketing and business ethics that go into really creating a city uh or a town and yeah no it's a pretty good one yeah
0: And we'll just mention in brief MLK FBI. I think we've mentioned it already on two previous Intercut podcasts. It's a stunning documentary, really well made, probably going to be nominated for an Oscar later Mm. this year, if not a bunch of other documentary awards. It tells uh, the story of how the FBI came to investigate and wiretap Martin Luther King. So it's about a really important piece of history, U.S. history. There's just about no good reason to not watch this documentary if you're interested in documentary films.
1: I would pitch it as the weirdest romance I've ever seen between (laughs) the director of one of the biggest organizations and one of the biggest social leaders of our time. And it comes out... In 2021, like I, I maybe not even January, but February. So this is a perfect chance to catch it early um, mm-hmm. or maybe even catch it before the Academy Awards, because I'm not sure how the release will be. But very good doc.
0: Yeah. Uh, so a couple others that we wanted to mention in brief from Doc NYC that are not part of the Doc NYC All Access, unfortunately. Let's start with In Silica, which is mm. a, a pretty fascinating documentary uh, that depicts 10 years in. In the development of this organization, what is it, Blue Brain?
1: Yeah, uh, Blue Brain Project by neuroscientist Henry Markram.
0: Yeah, what did you think about uh, Um, InSilica?
1: He said it was like 10 years, and I know at a certain point in the documentary he's like technically it's even longer because of the way that they were getting funding and when it started and stuff. You know, we've been loaded this year. With everything dealing from social media and AI, to how big business is using AI, to the coded biases that may be in the algorithms, you know, if you are scared of technology, there is a slew of documentaries out there to help you uh, with that. And, and this continues um, to kind of showcase... What we're leading up to in terms of like, you know, what science science chooses to and not to fund, Um, right? Because while I mentioned all those movies, it reminded me a lot more. I don't know if you got the chance to see Spaceship Earth and how they were kind of creating their biosphere. Not yet. That was one from Sundance where a lot of people did not like what they were creating while they were, you know, trying to make kind of like an Earth two, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, human nature, which was about the CRISPR genome project and how the guy who's been really pushing that, right? He's like, yo, we can help people who have all of these muscular dystrophies or all these different things. And they're like, "Eh, I don't know, you might recreate dinosaurs. (laughs) So it's like, will he be alive to see it? This is a dude who in 10 years said he was going to recreate a brain. Mm -hmm. Spoiler alert, (laughs) does not do that. (laughs) Um, But it comes from a very interesting director, uh, which I know we've seen some of his previous work that came out this year also.
0: Yeah, so uh, Noah Hutton is the director behind this. He directed a film called Lapsus, which I think you liked quite a bit coming out of Fantasia Fest earlier this year. Uh, And this is something that he's been working on for, uh, as we mentioned, 10 years. And he kind of puts himself in the center of it a little bit. It has a little of that uh, Michael Moore-esque I'm going to narrate and you know, it's me talking. He doesn't put himself literally in the center of the frame that Michael Moore or the way Michael Moore does. But I was questioning that approach at first, thinking, is this guy going to talk about how amazing it was that he was along the ride for this project? And then you see how he kind of gets caught between good. wanting wanting to see uh, the Blue Brain project develop and hearing all of these outside criticisms that are very valid, and uh, ultimately, some of them prove right. I, I think it's, it's fascinating to see uh, in the way that this documentary depicts how investment is moved towards different scientific endeavors and the types of the way that people talk about their goals and what is achievable, what is not achievable versus what gets people on board to an idea. A uh, lot of really interesting stuff that happens within mm-hmm. his time year time frame.
1: Curious to see what he, what he's got coming up next. Cause I could definitely see the stuff that he's learning in his documentaries being applied to the logic that he's, that I kind of saw in lapses as well, with with it being a very big company who use logistics to also get ahead of some <laughs> things. So, yeah, pretty solid one.
0: Yeah, and then Mole Agent also played Woo! at Doc NYC.
1: Is this one available on a streaming service already? www.hulu.com. I'm acting like I'm acting like the Animani- Animaniacs. Like I'm sponsored by them, but it is available on Hulu, and this this one was a doozy.
0: Yeah, uh, a really interesting movie. I think it's Chile's official selection for yes, Best Foreign Language Film at the Oscars. So I don't know if it's really going to stand a chance of getting nominated, but it is a delightful documentary about this man who's essentially recruited by private investigators to be checked into an old folks home in order to monitor another one of the patients. Yep. And uh, it, it plays out as this very quirky comedy. I mentioned on the LME live stream we did yesterday that it, it's kind of like if you had this premise directed by Taiko Waititi, uh, it, cause it's, he kind of becomes this beloved figure in the community. Uh, it, it's just a very interesting uh, perspective for a documentary to take. What did you think about it?
1: Yeah. It begins like, it's going to be super goofy. They got this man on with the yeah. glasses They, you know, the, what you see him in the poster with, even the magnifying glass has that. Uh, Um, But really quickly, I think that switches to not being as quirky and all that, um, to kind of realizing the stuff that's going inside the nursing home. And I wasn't sure where they were going to take it. Um, But it it was, you know, the aspects that they talk about loneliness. It's one of the early things that he brings up as well on why the main guy decides to do it to begin with. And I was like, oh, we're going to get heavy with some of the stuff here. The only Mm -hmm. thing about it, I would say, is they have him capturing stuff. (laughs) Right. while the cameras capturing and capture stuff and those are the only moments where it took me out but uh, again it's on Hulu I would highly recommend it and it's been really cool to see a lot of these movies be it documentaries but especially the narratives um, mm-hmm. you know we had mentioned with the LME streams also bringing up some kind of heaven on documenting and putting elderly people on film is not a bad thing you know you have heard producers time and time again go nobody wants to see that stuff it's like there's a cutoff point, and nobody wants to see them on screen no if you're not seeing them on screen you're not seeing their stories you're not seeing what they have have to say their emotions and uh this one gets into the emotion (laughs) the emotion sides of it um so yeah i would recommend it over on hulu.com
0: yeah so a lot of really great selections from doc nyc uh hopefully plenty more see those or others i know that i wanted to go see the last shot i'll probably catch that within the next few days so let us know if you count any of those movies or others from virtual film festivals. There are a few more movies that we wanted to hit in what we're watching. Uh, I wanted to mention Come Away very briefly, which okay. I saw way back at Sundance. Uh, it's the new movie directed by Brenda Chapman, who at one point in time was the director of Brave before she was fired off that project. Uh, so Pixar? she. Yeah. Whoa. And I believe she also was the director of The Prince of Egypt. So she, she's she got a bit of a reputation here.
1: A Classic. Okay. I've yeah. not seen this one, so tell me. Because I know there was like two, what was it, two Peter Pan stories that two came Peter out? Two Peter Pan yeah.
0: movies. Two made-for-kids Peter Pan movies that were both playing at Sundance earlier this year <laughs> that I didn't like either. The
1: independent festival <laughs> with the big studio funded. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Uh, so there are some things that are... Uh, fun about this movie i think it has an imaginative eye okay. and the way in which brenda sort of films uh play how a stick will suddenly turn into a sword and they'll move with it from and From imagination into reality it It's a weird comparison to make But almost reminds me of Rugrats In how Rugrats will have these vivid Moments where the kids are imagining things And then they'll remind you these are just babies And they're like in the corner of a room Playing yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I really liked that aspect of it okay. It's the it's in the trying to Bring in a real world Drama around all of that Involving uh Loaning money to Debtors and Uh, Like a secret family and stuff like that That it just... I don't think that's what any kid would really enjoy About a movie like this And it's not something that I enjoyed either Uh, A lot of surprising actors in this one though Like David Oyelowo, Angelina Jolie uh, I think Yeah, and so... Maybe it'll be for some people. I didn't really like it that much, even though there were things that I liked about it. Makes me curious to see what else Brenda Chapman wants to do, though, because it's interesting in the way that this plays with some fairy tale lore. It's got a little bit of Alice in Wonderland sprinkled
1: in there, too. Okay. I was going to say, it sounds a lot like uh, Poppins 2, when we went to go see Mary Poppins, the sequel, where it's Mm -hmm. like it's this magical world, but at the same time, a lot of it is like, the debt we must play. And I was like, I don't think the kids care about this at all. All at all. But yeah.
0: Blumhouse released another movie into theaters. Freaky. Uh, I I guess kind of a...
1: Is this like an intentional allusion to Freaky Friday? Because that's what it makes me think of. The director, Christopher Landon, I don't know if you've seen his previous movies, but he did Happy Death Day. Happy Death Day to you. Um, And I... I personally think he's done a decent job with it because there are a lot of directors who clearly are coming in with homages and they'll just pretend mm-hmm. like, oh, we, uh yeah, I, I suppose that's one of them. He's been pretty straightforward, so I'll give him that. You know, he understands that Happy Death Day, it's his version of, um, what's it called? Groundhog Day. Right. He's straight upset when he got the script to this one, uh, when the writer gave it to him. I believe he had a different type of name going on with it and he was like, no, call it what it is, uh... Freaky Friday the 13th, I believe is what he said the actual name for this movie was when they were mm. filming it. Then Disney went, nope. <laughs> so they just <laughs> called it Freaky. And I gotta give the man some respect because he's like, well, the poster's gonna say Friday on it, so just put Freaky, keep the Friday on there. So I kind of respect it. But it 100% is. They said they it's a mixture of Freaky Friday and Friday the 13th, and they wanted to combine the two of them. And, you know, it reminds me of, uh, I don't know if you remember movies like The Animal, The Hot Chick. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. that. It's that, yeah. and Freaky Friday, and Friday the 13th, but... Yeah, no, I mean, it's a,
0: a pretty, de- pretty pretty, delightful body-switching comedy, if I may say so, like, j- I think... Vince Vaughn is an actor who we haven't seen take a lot of really interesting film roles for maybe a decade, and and here he's actually given kind of a great role in that he's switching... He's the serial killer in this movie who switches places with a teenage girl, so mm -hmm. Vince Vaughn is the one who has to act like a teenage girl throughout the film, and he plays it in this very kind of sincere, not over-the-top way that is very hilarious, Uh, and, and... I you know there are some pretty gory kills and satisfying horrific moments throughout Surprisingly. but from but for me I, I kind of just found the comedy to be pretty delightful in terms of the the inter, the awkward interactions with friends and family mm-hmm. uh the the sudden almost budding romance between Vince Vaughn and his mother I guess in the yeah. movie uh, there's there and then the of course, the uh, moment in the back of the car, there's a lot of really funny bits throughout this film. I was just very entertained, much more than I expected it to be from what could seem like a low-rent Blumhouse for sure. uh, redo of a
1: familiar idea. Uh, yeah, I, I think it would have done great in theaters, like we said. It yeah. was supposed to come out on Friday the 13th. That would have been a great push for this movie. It definitely mm-hmm. has those laughs that with an audience hit way more you had mentioned the kills because again it's a body swap movie with a teenage girl and a serial killer um, and they do a great job with the kills I think a lot of people are, are gonna like the death counts that are gonna be done with this one but there are moments where they strive for things and they're able to accomplish a lot because they're they do a thing where when they swap they still keep the pronouns, of the person who was there and I was like they're doing this intentionally and I saw an interview with the writer and he was like that's one of the things that I hope people notice Um, and while they do a great job with that there are some corny scenes where I was like ah y'all the setup on this it's not perfect um, but again I think if this one was playing in theaters it would have done a it it, it would have been killer with it and they're clearly working to make it a franchise
0: I think I forgave some of the corniness because it's just so silly Mm -hmm. and and the consequences are so thin in this movie. It's not asking to be taken seriously in any way whatsoever, I feel like. And I I, I think ultimately I overlook stuff stuff like that because that's just kind of the tone of the movie. Yeah, it's not not the most hilarious or the most authentically written, but... It's, an enter- it's a good piece of entertainment.
1: Most of the jokes hit, and uh, I, comparing it to Happy Death Day, I still think Happy Death Day is a bit better, but they have some theories on this sequel for this, about who they're going to bring in, maybe some family members, and they've been throwing out Charlize Theron's name. I'm there!
0: Yeah, yeah. If <laughs> Virtually you do, uh, or in
1: theaters, I'm there. Absolutely.
0: <laughs> <laughs> this is actually one that I think is only available in theaters right yeah. now. And it's interesting because it's a Universal Pictures movie. As we know, Universal has struck that deal with AMC that they can bring some movies to VOD we'll early. See. So we'll see. Because we got a screener thirteenth.
1: Yeah. So it's possible. So th-
0: they're they're ready to, to dole them out virtually, Blumhouse so I is wonder al- what's going to happen.
1: Blumhouse has always been a person who's been forward on that as well, and they've made deals since the past. And those deals that they said absolutely no to in 2014, 15 and 16 they're going, let me see those deals again. <laughs> let me see if we can work something out. But, yeah, uh, yeah. pretty solid one. Uh, did you catch The Life Ahead? Uh, yes, I did, which I know we talked a little bit about on LME Streams as well. Mm-hmm. The
0: Life Ahead is an interesting movie from Netflix. It's an Italian film directed by Eduardo Ponti, who is the son of Sophia Loren. This movie also stars Sophia Loren. It's like her first movie in maybe long, 10 years or time, something yeah. like that. Yeah, a while. Uh, and interesting to see her take on this role. Uh, she plays a former prostitute as well as a survivor of the Holocaust who kind of provides childcare for different uh, working women in her neighborhood. Uh, So she ends up as the default mother for a lot of kids who are either uh, forgotten about or just don't have... Uh, the family structure around them to be properly supported, uh, and so she's asked to take in this other boy by someone close to her. And that other boy, played by Ibrahima uh, Guye is a bit of a troublemaker. He's involved in uh, some street crime, and they, of course, have this uh, have this oppositional relationship when he first comes to live with her. But as is the case with a lot of these, you know, adoption or savior movies, they come to come to become close to one another and have a love for each other and ultimately I think where this movie succeeds where some of those other ones don't is in the performances which are really really good Sophia Loren is very captivating throughout this movie you kind of believe that antagonistic nature they have at the beginning and you you grow to see why they would grow to care for one another Uh, so I think it's done well in the writing and in the acting here it's a pretty satisfying albeit somewhat stereotypical and uh cliched movie
1: you think it has any potential uh the
0: the main reason that i think a lot of people have been talking about is people think she might be in line for a best actress and and let's keep it a buck
1: when they send you the stuff they're already sending it to you with the consideration of so yeah right but so i
0: think there's a chance i mean look if i think this movie uh starred some other actress I don't know if that's the case. There is a lot of hype around it being a Sophia Loren mm-hmm. role, and we don't get a lot of those. So she gets a bit of a bump just by being a legend. She probably deserves that bump. I, I don't know. Uh, I could see it getting a nomination. I don't think I could see it winning. Okay. Ultimately, I don't think it's going to be
1: one of the final
0: five performances. It'll
1: be just. interesting. But yeah, I love what the director said. He was like, if, you could, if your mama's the best actor and you're a director, cast your mama. Yeah. Uh any other movies we should t- hit before the year or Uh yeah, we got two quick ones that I think were really high on both of our lists, The Climb and the Nest. Yeah, uh, so The Climb is a really interesting
0: film. It first premiered at Cannes in 2019, went on to get a lot of hype at the Telluride Film Festival last year, and then it was at Sundance earlier this year, which is where I caught it. A lot of people, it was supposed to come out in theaters early in, I think, May, but got pushed all the way back to November. Uh, I'm glad it's finally out because it's a really delightful little buddy comedy that takes place over the course of several years. It's got a very interesting Uh, production style to it in that it has a lot of these long one shots my spiciest take was gonna be that i was because i'd seen these two films at similar times i was more impressed by the long take cinematography in the climb than i was in 1917 (laughs) so maybe a little too spicy release it (laughs) um clean out the drafts Just because, you know, this is such a such a lower budgeted movie, such a more humble in its ambitions project, yet it has these really bravura moments, particularly that opening, which takes place following the two guys on a bicycle trip or, or on a bicycle ride like up and down a mountain and the way in which they're able to coordinate not just the camera work to keep them both in it but the performances cuz like how how close one another are on the bicycles is like key to the performance of this movie too mm-hmm. i just think there's so many aspects of it are that are so well done plus it's it's quite funny in parts and tells you a really interesting story of this kind of toxic friendship between these guys who are in each other's lives mainly because they've been in each other's lives
1: for so long mm-hmm. i i think there's a lot to like
0: about the climb i thought this one was delightful
1: yeah i really like this one too and what you were saying about like it, it feeling like a toxic relationship and then the more you just watch it you're like how many of these people do you have in your life you know and it's because they do a great job um as they advance it because originally it was a short which is the beginning of the movie and you're mentioning like how they filmed it in the long of going up they were talking about how they like what was carrying up the camera uphill they were like kind of screwed with it because i think something happened mm-hmm. to the jib but then at the same time the performance wise you have a long take and it's uphill there's there is an actual performance physical performance happening yeah. having to go up
0: um, i think i heard an interview where one of them said that he was trouble having trouble getting up the hill <laughs> for the short
1: film how could you not yeah but it, yeah it was fantastic to see how they were able to take a short film i, I believe they submitted it to sundance they were able to make it something bigger yep. it did did the round, so now that it's out, and picked up by Sony Pictures Classic, which is not a mm-hmm. bad studio mm-hmm. to pick you up. Um, yeah. They got something, because uh, I believe they both wrote it. Uh, one of them directed it. They start throughout the entire movie. And also, shout out, uh, I kept looking at her, and I had no idea why does she look so familiar? I kept saying, Marissa, played by Gail Ranking. I was like, why yeah. does she look so familiar? shout Glow. out to the Glowcast. oh my goodness you know sometimes you just you take for granted how good a performance is until you see them mm-hmm. perform in something else and you go yo these are two completely different people mm-hmm. uh so shout out to her she did a fantastic job but in terms of the script uh, i had mentioned in the lme streams they do a good job uh, i think she's the best mm-hmm. performance they do a good yes. job but their script is so much more powerful um like you said, the comedy, I think, works well because they're not so invested in making you laugh right away. I think a lot mm-hmm. of the jokes, the more that I think about it and, and seeing some of the clips after the fact, because I, I can't wait to watch this one again. Um, it hits better the second time around. And yeah. you're really there trying to follow along with the characters because they have a couple of time jumps. And again, the the least I, we're saying very, very, very little about this. But the more blind you go into this, the better, um, mm-hmm. because there's a lot of ambu- Ambiguity. And a mm-hmm. lot of movies do that, where they make you pay for a ticket, then you ask a question, and you're like, well, no, I deserve to know the answer to this question. They leave it there for you to fill in the blanks. And I mean this as someone who's very big on, on how ambiguity is used. They use it several times, be it how mm-hmm. a certain family feels about a character, be it the ending. Um it's almost a Rorschach test, I want to say. I was looking up what some people, who people were siding with, and they were siding with right. different people. And at first, I was like, how? And it, it's kind of <laughs> like that marriage story thing, you know? Either you hate them both, or you're siding with one over the other, yeah. maybe you even siding with the other. Maybe it's just who you
0: identify with.
1: That's the sign of a great movie. And um, I, 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 I loved watching it. It was a great experience watching yeah. it, because I knew very little about it. And every every step of the way, um, I found it to, to be very fascinating, and I can't wait to yeah. rewatch watch it again. Yeah,
0: definitely uh, when you mentioned the performances could have been funnier if it was the movie starring like Seth Rogen For and sure. James Franco or something like that. I think there is like a quality that it's lended by not really knowing who these guys are and maybe believing a little so. bit more that these are the actual friends. You know, it reminds the me the of Moorhead
1: and Benson a little bit when they write their right. stuff and they started in it as well. You know, there there is that little yeah. extra specialness to it.
0: Right. Like it may if they're not selling it in their performances, they're selling it in the authenticity of it, it. Right.
1: Exactly. Especially because a big part of it, you know, if you want to call it a bromance or whatever it is, there is that side of it where it's like these are people who know each other. And you're kind of getting, without spoiling too much, you, you are <laughs> used to having friendships that don't just define like an acquaintance. They define someone who knows so much about you that you're not just getting... Uh, rid of a friendship you would be getting rid of somebody who knows so much about you so there's sometimes yeah there's sometimes more weight to a friendship than there is with like an actual relationship and that's Mm -hmm. what the movie covers so well
0: yeah, absolutely. I, you know, I definitely have friendships like that, and I feel like most people probably have some. So
1: <laughs> it's ride or die. You're not going. Anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: So I, I would definitely recommend if you've got a friend who's been in your life for such a long time that you're not even sure Sit why anymore. Sit them down and have a discussion. Watch the climb together.
1: About, about why, and, and sticking to the relationship, side of, the relationship side of it. The Nest, a new movie. Yeah. Uh, yeah.
0: By Sean Durkin. Yeah, Sean Durkin, who 10 years ago gave us Martha Marcy May Merlene, I think one of the best psychological horror thrillers that I've seen. I love the way that that movie plays with your head. This is maybe a little bit less of an ambiguous haunting movie, but it's got its own uh, unsettled nature to it. It's about this married couple who lives in America and decides to move to England for new opportunities, new opportunities for the man, played by Jude Law, leaving Carrie Coon as the mother of two children kind of unsettled in her new environment, as this family uh, tries to fill out this oversized home uh, that is not for them and that has left them kind of stranded, in, in a sense, in yeah. a new country. Uh, I think this movie is, is really interesting look at this marriage that is dissolving in a way uh, it feels like they're entering a haunted house in, in the way that Durkin depicts how this relationship evolves. And I think uh, the performances both from Jude Law and Carrie Kuhn do such a good job at articulating that, underlying resentment yes, and sir. that need those those needs that those characters feel Jude Law being somebody who always kind of his character always wants a little bit more than he has Carrie Coon being fr- so frustrated at her family but trying to be the mother that she's supposed to be I thought there was a lot to really like about this movie what did you think
1: I want to rewatch it again 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 yeah. and again and I need to rewatch Martha Marcy May Marlene because while I thought it was good You watch this and you're like, no, 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 no. I I missed out on The Great over there. The performances, like you said, absolutely fantastic. Carrie Coon deserves a nomination. Jude Law, Mm -hmm. don't sleep on him, deserves a nomination. Mm -hmm. But like you said, while it's covering a family like kind of, you know, being disjointed where half of them are American because the daughter... Well, never mind. I don't want to I don't want to talk spoilers. The behind the scenes to it is that Sean Durkin himself uh, had was moving back and forth between America and the UK. And you can definitely tell that, you know, he may or may not be the kid in the movie, but it's definitely Mm -hmm. uh, based a lot on his experiences with what was going on with his mom, what was going on with his father. And just that idea of how he kind of got the American spirit over here. And wanted to bring that back to the UK at a time where, mm-hmm. when he was a kid in the eighties, um, he may have had that opportunity. And he, they build these characters so well because they 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 do a gr- he does a great job at dividing both of them, and you're kind of seeing both of their perspectives. And there's like. There'll be a dinner scene at the beginning where one of them is winning the conversation. And then there'll be another dinner scene in the second half where the tables may have turned. And I've heard a lot of people say that they feel the movie doesn't go anywhere. But I feel it goes at a lot of places at once Mm -hmm. because it's covering a real family. And many times a lot of those things, uh, a lot of the troubles are unspoken. But you're seeing it on screen and what they're going through. Uh, Like you had mentioned, while they're following everything for... Him and his business. She also has uh, a horse training business. And mm-hmm. by the way, the horse that she has is actually um, he has his own IMDb page. I was like, "Yo, this is the John <laughs> Snow's horse." So great, oh, really actor. great performance. Nominate that full wow. too. <laughs> Best <laughs> above them. Best cinema horse. horse. Yeah, definitely. Um, and there's there's some visually striking scenes. There's just you know when you see a horse perform, especially the way it performs in this movie it adds to that as well, so on all cylinders I thought it was a great family drama uh, that again, makes you want to go back to Martha, Marcy, May, Marlene and look at all those little details uh, mm-hmm. I implore people to watch this one, from the performances for sure but I think that there's a lot in the story that at first viewing, you know, m- maybe you don't r- relate to it right away, but I think on a second watch you definitely see like the little cracks that are happening in the family yeah. and whether they want to hold on to it whether it's worth hold on holding on to it or not uh, yeah, fascinating characters.
0: Absolutely. And and without spoiling something anything that happens at the end. Uh whereas Martha Marcy May Marlene has a ambiguous ending, I think intentionally so to kind of leave you unsure what's going on, I'd say The Nest has an unsettled ending, which is something different in in that there are there are things that haven't been solved, but it leaves you in a place where you kind of firmly know where you are with these characters and this family. And I think it's a pretty brave ending that might not be satisfying to everybody, but is appropriate for, I think, this type of story. Uh, it's one that I, I really do want to rewatch because I haven't caught it since I watched it back at Sundance. I actually wrote a review for Time Out that I'll leave in the description below. I was about uh,
1: to say, you, you should be a Rotten Tomatoes critic with the way you, you wrapped up that <laughs> ending. The ending is fantastic. <laughs> like I'm either getting older, but I thought the ending was so good. Two other notes. Yeah. You know what the cinematographer was? Uh, tell me. Cinematographer of Son of Saul. Right, yeah. right. Composer? Do you know who the composer was? No, tell me. Lead singer of Arcade Fire. So it's Ooh. like just the people who Sean Durkin is working with, where uh, he has been producing. You know, I know that there's been that decade long, um, if you want to call it a hiatus, but I believe he did some television. The stuff he has been producing and the people who this man has been working with, he is building a team. So I really like to see the behind the scenes on how he's just building up um, his creative. Workforce practically. So, shout out to mm-hmm. him. Uh, shout out to the movie yeah. and everyone involved.
0: Director who definitely takes his time, but he, he's coming Worth back it. very intentionally, you know? Yeah. All right. So, that's what we've been watching. Let us know what you've been watching in the comments on YouTube or by shooting us an email. The address for that is intercutpod.gmail.com. at gmail.com. Let us move on to the yay or nay where we break down the latest happenings in entertainment, starting <laughs> with. One by one, the anticipated blockbuster releases of 2020 have been pushed from this year to next, leaving little left on the calendar. But the last movie standing is Wonder Woman 1984, which Warner Brothers just announced will, despite surging COVID numbers all across the United States, be released in theaters on December 25th. However, it will also simultaneously be released on HBO Max for viewers to stream from the comfort of their own homes. That's how I'm going to watch it. That's how Art's going to watch it, I'm sure. Uh, this is a huge boon for HBO Max, whose membership numbers are currently below expectation. Art, yay or nay, the Wonder Woman 1984 release is going to convince a lot of people to sign up for HBO Max.
1: Yay. Yeah and contrary to belief i'm taking my hbo subscription going to my local cinema <laughs> market and telling them to plug it in um no definitely you know there have been a lot of people who have been speculating that uh soul which is a 150 million dollars it's like well there's no mulan price tag on that so this must be one where you are pushing it to be you know a subscriber bigger practically right. hbo's got um <laughs> they said it was Someone said it was 200 minutes of unseen footage for Snyder Cut. Great. Well, that's not coming out yet. So what's the next DC thing they got? I told my sister about this. She's been excited to see Wonder Woman. So for that alone, it is a big up, big up, big up. I heard that there was a uh, limit for it, though. I heard that by January. Like, it's going to premiere December 25th, but they're going to take it out of the streaming service sometime in January. That may just be speculation, but something to note there as well. But like you said, it's also going to be playing in theaters, so I'm very curious to see... Are they just going to rattle the numbers, the business side of it? We also know uh, that, you know, what are they going to take out of it and and whatever info they get out of this, how will that affect future releases, especially because there'll still be snow in January and February. (laughs) So I don't know. We'll see. But I'm excited for it because I got a nice big screen at home. My family doesn't go anywhere because we want to make sure we get to see each other. So it's the best release possible for a movie that we didn't think we were going to get till next year.
0: Absolutely. And I, I think it's interesting to note that this probably is going to be the most watched thing that HBO Max has had yet. Uh, you know, at least until we get that friends reunion mm-hmm. or the Snyder cut, this is kind of the thing that will jo- draw the most eyeballs and probably feels like the thing that's most likely to get somebody who hasn't yet signed up for HBO Max to be like, well, I could either pay the full price to see it in a movie theater or I can pray about the same to get a month of HBO Max. And, you know, they're hoping that it's going to be like the people who signed up for Game of Thrones never left. I think it's going to be a big boon for the service. I don't know if it's going to be a hit on the level of something something like Hamilton, uh, which has a little bit more wide appeal, I think. But it's not like wonder woman is it's a pretty it has big, a small market it's that's a pretty a big pretty market. big
1: market like you say hamilton had a big market as well for people who you know couldn't afford to go see it and for 6.99 are you kidding me you get we alina and i did the math you get it four years of disney plus equals one hamilton ticket in the back <laughs> Right. Uh, so yeah wonder woman to be able to have that in the comfort of your own home i hope it does well um same but we'll see yeah Marvel announced
0: that the sequel to Black Panther will begin production in July 2021 after confirming that the studio will neither recast the King King T'Challa role nor will they digitally recreate the late Chadwick Boseman. Speculation has pointed to Letitia Wright's character Shuri taking on the protagonist's role moving forward. Art, yay or nay, centering Shuri in Black Panther 2 is the right move.
1: I'd say so, because they had mentioned building her up, and I know a lot of pushback was like, no, we want to continue seeing Black Panther. Um, But the decision to not CGI him, to not do Leia, I think it's way better. And you have the opportunity to now build up her character and even other characters that are there from Wakanda, because they were stepping him up to be a big part of the Avengers post I was actually going to stop spoilers there. Post-Iron Man. <laughs> I was like, I actually checked myself there for a second. What if somebody hasn't Whoa, seen what it What if yet? someone has not seen this movie? Um, yeah, so, you know, a lot of money is obviously involved, so they're try- just trying to curate what who's going to be the one to lead. One of the biggest solo ones, you know, only Iron Man 3 was able to get the numbers that Black Panther was able to get. But I do think they have a very fleshed-out cast. Let's, you know, let, let's talk about that. You know, M'Baku and even the people who may have you know i feel people have seen black panther as well even the characters that may have turned in black panther are still able to flesh out a much bigger world so i'm curious to see where they take Mm -hmm. it but yeah you know it's a smart decision and I, i think people will be there to support it exactly i mean
0: black panther even before the movie came out people were talking about how deep its roster of talent is so fortunately there are a lot of people there who will still you know maintain an interesting movie i believe and obviously we're talking about you know like the best of Several bad options, maybe bad options is the word mm-hmm. wrong word to use, but you know nobody wants to see Black Panther two with Chad without Chadwick Boseman, and unfortunately there's just no like ethically sound way to get that nah. to happen, right? Like I I don't want to see the Paul Walker recreated nah. version <laughs> of Chadwick Boseman. No, 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 no. People after the first movie were talking about Leticia Wright as the breakout character. People even de- back then were saying is she is she going to get her own movie? It, so it seems like it just kind of makes sense. Maybe the timeline has been sped up for really horrible reasons, but Leticia Wright is a genuine star. Ooh, we uh, just we saw haven't her. talked about... Yeah, we actually should probably talk about that later, uh, that she's so great in Mangrove. Uh, it, it, I think... It's the best option available right now to them, so I'm still curious about this one and also curious to see how they navigate this, considering how quick the movie has turned around from being uh, something that, for all intents and purposes, was set to start Chadwick. And uh, I think they only delayed production four months, and Ryan Coogler apparently is ready for this new version.
1: Let's hope it goes well.
0: Dave Chappelle took to Instagram to detail his lingering issues with The Chappelle Show, the iconic Comedy Central series that bears his name. Citing his tumultuous exit, Chappelle discussed how he was never paid for much of his work. The show has been available to stream through Netflix, but it bothered Chappelle so much that he talked to Netflix and asked them to remove the series to which Netflix agreed. Art, yay or nay? Is Netflix
1: doing the right thing by listening to Dave Chappelle? I believe so. We all can act. Okay, so the first thing I got to bring up, because I saw this going up online. He first brought this up last couple weeks ago when he hosted SNL, and he had said... My show is playing here because he had brought up the joke was he had brought up his grandpa or great grandpa who was a slave and he didn't have much rights. But if he looked at his great, great grandchild today who had an HBO show, who's got his Netflix show, he would look at him and be like, wow, you're not getting paid a dime from that. So you have it worse than I did. So that was the first time he had mentioned it. And most recently he came out and I know because I, I, he's still been doing shows. He came out and he said, y'all know that I left. Way back when, because they weren't treating me right. You guys know this. You embraced me back because of it.
0: Very public story.
1: People have been coming out saying, oh, so he signed a contract and now he doesn't... Zach, you better answer that one right there. There is an answer to that question. Y'all really acting like it was in 2006, written into the contract with the streaming services where... Oh, wait, he left in 2006 because whatever was in the contract he didn't agree with. So they're still using it. So it's like, I don't understand that mentality of it. I don't understand bootlicking for Comedy Central who was screwing him over. Like, are you a fan of him or not? Trust me, I am really big on the people who have used contracts, know what's in it, and then want to switch it up later. Trust me, trust me, trust me. Um, Dave Chappelle's entire wiki page has a whole thing about that. So it's like, if there's ever been one person who's been really big on a show that has his name and he's not making a dime off of it and it's on HBO Max and Netflix right now, he said it in a stand-up special. He said, I'm coming to my true bosses. You the people. You decide. And uh yeah, I think Netflix did well because they have a deal with him. And I like that. I really do like yeah. that. They they know that if they want to continue business with him, respect it. Take it off of
0: them. Not so sure that lady agrees with you there though.
1: <laughs> she wants she wants to see Chappelle's show. She's like, No, don't take it out. <laughs> don't take it out on live stream. I haven't and,
0: caught up on season two yet.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, we were rewatching I've... it too, but it yeah, it
0: yeah. Well, okay, so I do think this issue talks about two of like our favorite favorite subjects to bring up. Uh, First of all, this is ultimately business for Netflix, right? They are in the Dave Chappelle business, and I think something that this tells me is that they value getting continued content from Dave Chappelle more than they value. the the streams they're going to get from people rewatching the Chappelle show because yeah, they so. are still in the Dave Chappelle business. They're getting new specials from him all the time. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting to me that Netflix values their relationship with Dave Chappelle that much that they're giving up what we know is like something that's very valuable for them. They they make so they they have most of their eyeballs going to people watching older shows yes, like sir. The Office. And so they understand the that's interesting. That's interesting to me. The other aspect that is interesting to me is the subject we talk about of uh, physical media versus streaming. Because I don't know if Dave Chappelle being treated poorly on that show means that no one should ever get to see the Clayton Bigsby sketch again. It's that's episode like a, one! It's a culturally important sketch.
1: It came back on SNL not too long ago as well, yeah.
0: I, I just think, like... Ultimately, I-, I hope that stuff like this doesn't go away forever. Like, can you put a disclaimer? Can Netflix strike some kind of deal to give him some of the back end as well? I, I just you feel know, like there, can't. there's got to be some alternative to like this disappears forever. Yeah. And luckily, I've got Chappelle show DVDs, so that's not the case with this for me. But... You know, for some people, and maybe for other shows in
1: the future. It just came on. It's winter. This would have been a show people were catching up on or watching for the first time. And nothing... Look, I love HBO and HBO Max, but nothing compares to Netflix. But at the end of the day, I think it's a smarter decision. And hoping that Netflix is doing it with good graces, because if he ever is able to strike a deal with Comedy Central, whoever owns the show and he's able to make money from it in the future, then that's when you rehost it. So I think listening That'll, to him now is the best possible thing to do. Yeah.
0: One last story quickly. Netflix began testing a new version of its service in France called Netflix Direct. The company described it as quote web-based experience. That's the same for everyone who watches it, a real time <laughs> service, AKA a TV channel, Netflix invented TV. A 24-hour Netflix schedule with upcoming movies listed on it like it's the TV guide with programming based on what's popular among all Netflix fan subscribers. Art, yay or nay, do you think Netflix will attempt a linear channel at some point
1: in the U.S.? Yeah, I think. Did you hear about their other rollout? Uh, which one? They have these little dots, these little circles up at the top. So when you're watching a movie, you can just like click a part of the movie that you like and you can see what all your friends are watching. I think that they're going to roll out a feature where you could just watch the shows and swipe it up like that. And pretty much every other feature that's out there, a story mode, Mm -hmm. have a fleet mode, have every other mode. Because I think we are at the point where every streaming service is, every social media service is stealing from each other. So it's only a matter Mm -hmm. of time before every streaming service is stealing from each other as well. Because they are not the first to do this. When I first got my Shutter account, that's the opening thing it presents you with. Five different live channels that are going on for the curated content that Mm -hmm. they have on their thing. They ain't invent a damn thing. (laughs) Nothing. Mm -hmm. But this just proves that they need to be making changes. And one of their first things was we are never going to put ads. Oh, but that's not Netflix over there. This URL (laughs) where it is ads in between the stuff. So they're just finding different avenues of it. What that speaks business wise, kind of like we just mentioned with uh, Wonder Woman, all of a sudden being able to be on streaming when it's not does Mm -hmm. make me worry on the back end. On why they have to make decisions like this. But I am not against free content being available for people. But it's not free, is it? It, You still have to pay. Well,
0: I I think it's supposed to be part of your Netflix service. So if you pay for Netflix, you get the Netflix We're getting into
1: bigger problems now. Who gets to be in the thing if it's not algorithmically based?
0: Yeah, That's interesting because this is one of the things that's different is apparently this is going to be selected by people, whereas everything else on Netflix that Netflix shows you, rather, is selected by their algorithm. So it it does potentially provide them more of an opportunity to hand-select movies to kind no. of put in your face, which, you know, that's not the reason that a lot of people signed up for Netflix is why I think ultimately this feature is not going to be very popular. But what's I think the whole reason behind Netflix doing this is they're recognizing one of their problems is not so much people using Netflix, but using Netflix and then leaving Netflix when they decide they don't know what to watch or there's not, nothing, not anything interesting to watch. Yes. This gives people a chance to just drop in the way that we used to just like turn on tv it's like all right what's the best thing on i I think i I think it could work for netflix if they want to do like several channels like you have your netflix horror channel your netflix reality channel one big netflix channel with i don't know whatever's in the top 10 just feels a little bit repetitive and unnecessary you know
1: you heard about the spotify stuff right Where Spotify Um, is now opening it up for you to be able to get recommended. Because, you know, it was an algorithm base. And now they're like, what if we involved money with it? And your first thought is, well, great. If you don't have enough money to give, then you will not come up in the recommended and the algorithms. And I mean, we're on YouTube. We get that. Turns out it wasn't even a, it wasn't a, a payment. It wasn't a, it was a cut. It was a royalty program where you are getting cut your royalties if you still want to be able to survive in this algorithm. So what is that going to be for Netflix? Right. Right. Is it just gonna be the originals? I don't know. Yeah. Well, that's about it for
0: Year Nay, but a reminder that if you want to hear a subject covered here on Intercut, be an intracutie and send us a question by leaving it in the comments on YouTube, hitting us up on social media at IntercutPod, or by emailing us intercutpod at gmail.com. We are gonna move on to our topic of the week, and this week's topic is Borat Woo! subsequent movie film <laughs> Sasha Baron Cohen. About a month ago, hit us with a somewhat surprise release of this movie onto Amazon, a follow-up to the 2006 Borat movie, uh, re-bringing the character to life under some new circumstances. Art, I know that you not only caught up with this one, but you went back and watched the original Borat in preparation for it. How does the original Borat uh, hold up in 2020?
1: Zach, I went back before 06. I caught Borat in, what was it, 0204? He's been doing this character days. since he was a side guy. He's got this, whole, and you can catch it on YouTube. It's uh, Borat Goes to the UK, and you see right from the beginning, you know, like people complain about Watchmen. What? The Watchmen graphic novel I read wasn't as political as this show. You didn't read the novel, sir. But if you think that this new Borat is different than the old Borat, you weren't paying attention to the old Borat. <laughs> um, it is a progression of the character. In the, in the most beautiful form, it is, uh, you and I had talked about it, and I'm sure we're going to get into it as well, uh, Sasha Baron Cohen and his stances and his beliefs and stuff, and just that idea of how some people don't realize that they're the butt of the joke, so mm-hmm. you kind of have to come back and rephrase it for them, <laughs> uh, but yeah, overall, I don't think it's as funny. As the first one, I think some of the novelty of the first one is a a little bit gone. And there's just a more serious element to it as well. Uh, I had had seen a sketch earlier this week that talked about how, you know, the differences of like, if you have someone running the country and you don't like how they're running it, well, sometimes it's bad because they're very loud about it. And I just wish we went back to the times when they weren't loud about it. (laughs) You know, it's not the problems that are going on that's the problem. It's that, you know, someone had mentioned, you know, there will still be people in cages before the fact and after the fact. I was like, all right wait, wait, wait. <laughs> that still doesn't solve the problem, you know? Right, it's right. Like, it's like, it's all optics, and I think he mm-hmm. realizes that, and I think he saw that in the character of Borat, which is really a character who's just meant to be as abrasive, and while you think he's the butt of the joke, the reality of it is that he is able to meet people, put their guards down so low because of the way he's coming off, and then they showcase either who they truly are, or even more than that, how they may not stand up for someone who's saying all of this crazy stuff, and does that make you as complicit to it? So it's very mm-hmm. interesting that a character like Borat, who we all quote as my wife, or very nice, all these crazy things, is a lot deeper to the, to, to the fact that, or mm-hmm. to, to the point that he even won, uh, what was it, ADL awards? You know he yeah. is. He has been he out there the using this character and all of his characters, really, from what he's done with Who's uh, Who is America and Bruno, the dictator, even back to allergy, um Characters where there's a lot more social commentary than you think there is at the start.
0: Yeah, maybe the so- social commentary was a little subtler in the 2006 Borat. Easily, or, or maybe, or maybe just the volume. of of our, pol- our, our politics right now is a little bit higher. Everything feels a little bit uh, more tense and a little bit more frantic and, and argumentative so that when he does skirt on a political issue, back in 2006, it might feel a little bit more like he's alluding to it. Whereas in 2020, a lot of this stuff does feel like a very direct attack on some of the things that, is that a he, convention? <laughs> he finds abhorrent. You're right. Uh, and I think that, in some ways, that that's one of the really interesting things about how he's chosen to re-attack this material is in kind of clarifying in a way, like no, this is, these are the things that I think are wrong, and uh, it's not just the it's no longer something that feels like it's just random people in small towns, but it's it's the establishment, it's the convention, as you mentioned. It's the most powerful people in this country, or the people that surround the most powerful people in this country. So to to see the way that he kind of attacks all all these unsavory elements to to sometimes polite society, uh, I think he talked about it in that ADL speech. The way in which Borat will do something that is racist or sexist or uh, just generally abhorrent but people will just go along with it out of fear of looking wrong or being impolite or or because they actually agree with some of the stuff and it's that indifference to that prejudice that is super revealing that people won't stand up for what we agree is the right thing for whatever reason uh, I think he does an excellent job of highlighting this throughout the movie there's that excellent scene that takes in Bart in the subsequent film uh, that excellent scene that takes place in the cake shop where he just dictates the Jews will not replace us line to which the woman just writes it out without hesitation. And I don't know how much moments like that in the film end up being manipulated by the cutting of it, but there's enough evidence there that shows an underlying element that is very apparent in American society today is that a lot of people just don't care enough to stand up to something that's disagreeable or or to do the right thing in a public
1: situation like Mm -hmm. that just get me paid and let's go uh you know he he gets a lot of lawsuits and not everything that he's done is perfect when he captures things i know and like this is why i think he had a, a big reason for coming back and doing this character is because he saw how many people didn't get the joke so i think he realized the importance of like coming back and kind of setting it straight because early on a big factor to him he always said i don't cut to i don't want to say the message but he cuts to the comedy if it is not funny enough then he will not release it and that's what he's always stood by um and i think that sometimes he finds the balance in in like where is their commentary happening while at the Mm -hmm. same time it being you know funny where it's like it's As funny as Jackass, where you're seeing just something goofy happen on screen, or somebody's reaction, or how they go along with it... I did like the story. I, I really like how mm-hmm. he's fleshing out the world of Borad and where in the first yeah. one, you know, he's evolved from it and you're bringing back either the pastimes that he had in the first one but also kind of like the country in and of itself. And you and I talked about all the little behind the scenes that I think really um, make the character interesting. For example, mm-hmm. he never speaks Kazakh. He doesn't even film in Kazakhstan. Uh, he films in Romania, which I yeah. believe in the future he's going to kind of implement something there where... Uh, He's very good at belittling America, but I think he's going to realize, all right, I got to give Kazakhstan <laughs> their due credit and go at Uzbekistan <laughs> or, or the other one um, that right. I know he really wants to belittle. But he does things like he is never speaking Kazakh.
0: Yeah. He's speaking he, Hebrew. He speaks, yeah, he speaks a mixture of some e- Eastern European languages and then Hebrew. Like the the very famous Yakshemash is something that I've been saying with my family almost my entire life because Yakshemash is how are you doing in Polish? You know? <laughs> it's like it's really funny in the ways that he's able to like that also highlights the ignorance of the many Americans that he's interacting with that they don't know any better uh from whether that's how he talks to how he looks to how he acts they how they assume that that's just could be a normal thing for a foreigner to do uh and and again speaks to I don't know how much of that is uh politeness and how much of that is xenophobia but it's certainly a mixture of the two uh but I agree with you though that he's able to to find the comedy in a lot of these things yep. and it is it is comedy first it's not a movie that's beating you over the head with it's message uh, there's just so many funny situations that he finds himself in and there's no one who is more daring at going to uncomfortable places with people than Sasha Baron Cohen I, it, it, some of the stunts that he pulls in this movie are hard to watch they, they give you that cringe factor but he's such an expert at it that I think it Transcends uncomfortable. It transcends the uncomfortable to someplace hilarious and and celebrate, uh, so, uh, worth celebrating. How, that he can he can manipulate reality in this way. Uh, and I think one of the things that really helps it along the way is that he's got a great partner along with Ooh, him. In killed In the last it. film, it was in the last film. It was his producer was also very excellent. This time they have the actress Maria Bakalova, who is so funny playing Borat's daughter in this uh, and just goes, goes to every cl- place with him, you know, beat for beat. She doesn't miss a step. So I think she was one of the secret weapons of this movie.
1: Yeah, they should have brought back the producer man. What they did with him, I know they I ended up not bringing him back, and uh, he was great because he too, you know, while he was speaking Hebrew, he was speaking back in uh, I want to say it was like Arabic. So it's like, <laughs> on top of that, remember Borak came out in '06. You know what came out mm-hmm. in four Passion of the Christ. You know, a little Mel Gibson film where they spoke a foreign language, but it wasn't Hebrew. It was Latin because he thought it sounded cool. Like, he he was just following up on that joke that it's like, you guys aren't going to get it. But while I'm doing all this racist stuff over here, all these Jew jokes, if you're actually Jewish, you know exactly what I'm saying. And, um... I think it's genius. I think he does a great job of just setting up these moments. And like you mentioned, I know one of the biggest ones that leaked, uh, several things leaked leading up to the second one. I know you were catching John Wilson, the John Wilson show over on HBO. Yeah. And I I don't know if you noticed the little appearance that he makes there at one point in one of the earlier episodes when he's in New York. Um, But I know the rally one leaked a little bit. The convention one leaked, but no one actually knew that it was him in there. Right, right. But the biggest one was the Giuliani bit, which is hysterical because you would think that that's the worst thing (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you would have thought that was the worst thing Giuliani would have caught himself up with, but this man had his just for menly. Only got worse for Only Giuliani. Only got from worse. There. Oh, bless his soul. That, that ain't even political yeah. there. It's like some of y'all need ten years to look back at these things that we're going through right now, and then you'll be able to laugh at the craziness of it. But dear lord. Um yeah, that scene was. Is that crazy. the stunt
0: that you're you're maybe most impressed by in the movie?
1: Oh, because it's like when I first saw it, I was like, he's going for it. And
0: yeah. then he
1: cuts it off. A little bit sooner. And I'm saying this because I feel most people have seen it and you probably saw it without even seeing the movie because it was everywhere.
0: It isn't quite as indicting as it potentially could have been. I think a lot of like it kind of feels like five more seconds and it could have gotten
1: a lot worse. He mentioned the legality of it and how he was technically hiding in a room and he needed to come out because the Mm -hmm. moment it becomes anything more than that, he can get prosecuted. He cannot release that. He had mentioned previously he had gotten stuff on camera that never made it to I believe it was Bruna. Where he straight up went to somebody in Las Vegas and said, I need a body to hide. Oh, yeah, I can get you. Uh, There's a yacht that really helps out. Um, I also need like a boy, probably this tall, to do like things with. Here's the number. He took that to the FBI because I can't make it in the show. The FBI said, It's okay. Interesting. And a lot of people saw the Giuliani bit. But it's okay let that man come out and talk of the four seasons <laughs> but it's enough though yeah, it's enough that's, though
0: yeah yeah it's enough that it, it also just that he would get in a room with these characters is a huge indictment of his character but i think giuliani has done enough to discredit himself that to me that's not the thing that i'm most impressed by to me the the performance at the rally where he's getting all these people to sing along to these absolutely vile ideas is just, guns it is crazy to me. That is a mind blowing moment to me. And it's one that I th- saw on Twitter months ahead of time and thought this is going to make for an amazing scene in some film. And I was not expecting it when it came in this movie. Uh, absolutely stunned by it.
1: Mm-hmm. Shout out him, but shout out Isla Fisher for allowing him to do this, you know? Oh, <laughs> I, I could I can't not even be married. Imagine. No. Yeah. But yep. no, he does a lot of great stuff. A lot of the behind the scenes, you know, one of my favorite ones is this cheese joke that he does in the first at where he just goes down the aisle and he goes, what is this cheese? What is this <laughs> cheese? He does it for the entirety of the thing then starts up on the other one. It's saying so much because in and of itself, that is funny. But remember, he comes from Kazakhstan. The, they don't even have cheese unless they make it themselves. <laughs> so the fact that as Americans, we have all this choice, you know, it's like what he's really pounding in. It, 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 it's very smart even though it's mm-hmm. coming off of what seems like the dumbest character you've ever seen on screen, but that's the genius of what he does.
0: Yeah. I think for me, the best scene was probably the scene at the uh, Women's Health Center or, like, the abortion scene. If that's you don't you even know what to call it. it, do you? Yeah, it is so, so uncomfortable, but the it it's so revealing and so funny at the same time. And it's also just a classic, like, he's able to get the double meaning to say so much by the, by the use of that, like tiny plastic baby that she swallows uh, in, in the turns of phrase in order to make that conversation as uncomfortable as possible is yeah. so funny to me. Mm-hmm.
1: I, I am curious to see what, if he were to ever follow up this character again or, yeah. or, or even his other stuff. Cause you know, everything I just see as a part of him, all these different characters that he plays for the different shows, um, I want to see him take on heavier targets, you know, because I feel like the people who he approaches, they're pretty easy. Um, but I'm curious to see him take that get out approach. I'm I'm curious. I don't mm-hmm. know if you ever finished uh, season two of The Boys, but there's a lot of other stuff he could cover yeah. as well. And I would love to see him do it because right now I, yeah. I know a big part of him is he calls him the Silicon Six and he hates them.
0: Yeah. And there would be you know, very cool to see him you do know like, what I'm a, like a social network movie t- kind of thing. Yeah. So that would be fantastic. I mean, He's a brilliant creator and certainly one of the bravest voices in comedy right now. So I think it'd be a shame if we don't get some more material from him. And I feel like it's been a while since we've gotten a big project from from him like this. Mm-hmm. So I was just thankful to have Sasha Baron Cohen back in some capacity. Very nice. Yeah. Does the movie feel any differently to you now that we have maybe even like a little
1: bit of a political distance from the the trump era even though we're still in the trump era yes because he barely brings i mean he brings up bush a couple times but they were more like bush jokes you know yeah and again that goes back to what i was saying it's like uh i was watch- i can't remember what it was again that sketch that i was mentioning to you i found it hilarious because it's like under a certain president you're okay but a different president changes and it's like oh this one's a little too loud but i like what we're doing just in the background um yeah but i mean it was funny to see how he was able to incorporate things like he he pooped at the Trump Tower, but you know he was yep. ahead of it. Um, yeah. But yeah, it definitely was more political, and I think he came out and he 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 said that for the New York Times, where he's like, "Yo, there is a divide." I think he realized a lot of his fans who like Borat politically think a certain way, and he was like, yep. "I want to make sure I'm not attributing to this," and especially with his indictment again of the Silicon Six, the Twitter and Facebook and all of them. If he feels that way for them, then I'm sure. And knowing how powerful art is, he knows and understands the medium and how it can move people. I think that's why he doubled down to kind of like showcase, hey, for those of you who like Borat for the wrong reasons, know that even a character like Borat can change. And if a character like Borat can change, then so can you. Yeah, you had
0: a funny comparison we were talking about this off of... Recording uh, to the Eminem line in the sand, but maybe a more successful version of that. I, yeah. I think that is a, a brave thing to do in and of itself, mm-hmm. and uh, one that I think he recognized he had the ability to potentially be a- effective or yeah. have some kind of impact with. So, cool. We like a lot about borat subsequent movie film even uh i think it definitely felt like it was very urgent when it was released and maybe now it can also just be appreciated as a very funny movie uh but yeah i'm eager to see what people who watch us also thought of that movie and especially that movie right now so let us know in the comments below we're going to finish this up with the new to see where we give you our picks for the week art what do you recommend that the people at home catch?
1: I mean, we hyped up two pretty good ones: the climb and the nest. Uh, you Absolutely. know, uh, if you have the chance to rent them and they pique your interest, check them out. I know a lot of people have been a little bit lower on the nest because they think it's it's slower at least give it a chance on streaming but I think both of them are worth the rent uh, for the climb in the nest but if you wanted something that's at home to stream we covered these two at, on the LMA streams if you have Hoopla and I believe what they may even be on Hulu as well I would highly recommend two very interesting docs uh, The Donut King which talks about this Cambodian immigrant who came over uh, to the west coast and he invented things that to this day we use the pink box of donuts right that everybody knows because it comes in that pink box we've seen it in shows we've seen it everywhere that man was just saving money. <laughs> and that's why he got that. So it's like all these interesting um, things that he did as he was building up his business and how he was able to help other Cambodian immigrants. you know. And then the capitalist side of it comes in and all of the other stuff that he has to go through. I think it was a fascinating doc that came out of South By. Uh, definitely check that one out, as well as another uh, really fun doc that came out of South By from last year called Who Let the Dogs Out? Uh, that's also streaming about the song who let the dogs out, the influences who actually let them out, but who may have written the song. Uh, it deals a lot with intellectual property and the, and the such. And I found it to be very fascinating. It's a pretty short watch based on a, um, a U.S. tour that was done by this guy who pretty much does an hour presentation breaking down uh, who let the dogs out. So yeah, I found it to yeah. be fascinating. So those are pretty, pretty solid movies to catch out there on streaming or to rent on demand. I have a movie that I caught way back at Sundance
0: 2019, which is available, I believe, on VOD. Five now. years ago, "Divino Amor," Divine Love. It's a Brazilian movie directed by Gabriel Mascaro. A very interesting film that takes place in a some in a somewhat not too distant future version of Brazil, where society has become like ultra religious. It's invaded various forms of the government. Our main character is somebody who. Uh, works in the births, death, uh, deaths and marriages department of the government trying to convince fu- couples from getting a divorce. Uh, and there's all these just different aspects of society that you see as slightly manipulated, slightly changed. Uh, because they're in this future hyper-religious society, uh, she goes, for example, to talk to her pastor at a drive-through church. Which, <laughs> you know, I know there are things like that, but this—the this vision of it is really cool. Uh, I don't know. There's there's a really awesome vision here uh, that the director gets at. Plus, it's got this this neon soaked lighting that's very pretty. I think this is a really interesting movie. It's a bit of a a bit of a thinker and it has a very patient pace to it. Okay. But it's a very interesting theme. If that sounds interesting to you, I'd highly recommend that. And then Amazon. We gotta talk
1: about the small axe anthology. That deserves a whole video, man. We're still to think we're still missing two.
0: Yeah, so we will talk about this more, I'm sure, in upcoming weeks. But Mangrove has already premiered. By the time this episode is out, Lovers Rock will have premiered. Two excellent, excellent movies from the man, Steve McQueen. You know we love Steve McQueen on this podcast. Uh, And he is giving us five movies in five weeks through Amazon. How can you ask for more? Uh, Let's talk a little bit about Mangrove first because it's a really interesting movie that talks about the... Uh, this incident that happened in England based on a true story about this mangrove cafe that was targeted by police and ultimately the people involved who were brought on trial uh, for charges of disturbing the peace. Uh, It's this really interesting movie that's like a civil rights drama mixed with a courtroom drama. Uh, You have... Excellent performances, as I mentioned before, Letitia Wright is a spark plug in this movie, and it's a very different type of character than I think you're used to seeing her uh, do. I-, I like this one a lot. You know, you you brought you compared it on the LME stream to uh, Trial of Chicago Seven favorably because it's Boom. because it's it. I think it just has a, a much more lived in uh, feel to it. They're There's both just true the, stories. Uh, there's an intensity to the courtroom drama there that I think is so well served by this story. Uh, I like this one quite a bit. Uh, what did you think about *Mangrove*?
1: Absolutely, lo- I I need to sit with this one again because I caught. Uh, I started with *Lovers Rock*, *Mangrove*, and then ended it on the masterpiece that was *Red, White, and Blue*. Um, so I started noticing even more with each feature that he did. The cinematography and how he's capturing things, and he does it for each one because each one's got a different you know, sort of vibe. He, he covers the home life when it comes to red, white, and blue, and he's like showing you this is what the dinner table looks like. This is what we put on top of our dishes. This mm-hmm. wallpaper here, sh- sh- it felt like Roma. Like, Is this his wallpaper from when he was young? Right. He does the right. same thing in Lover's Rock with the way that the party, with the way that they dance, with the way that the room looks, with setting up everything. In this one, the way he captures the courtroom, now, in the mm-hmm. first half, you know, he's covering the restaurants, you know, for people who want to come and eat food for a particular palate. But it's that second half with the way he captures them going into these courtrooms. I have always felt, it, you know, this may be more of a tangent, but I still find it goofy that they got people over there wearing wigs to talk about <laughs> some serious stuff. But the way that he captures these this ginormous setting that they're coming in and the sculptures and everything. And then they sit them up up, up there, right? To mm-hmm. look down on everyone who's actually looking down on them, uh, that was absolutely fantastic and really showcases what they were up against. Uh, but like I said, I want to sit, I want to sit with this one again, especially the second half, because while I did prefer it <laughs> way more um, to trial, uh, it, that's the the second half is where I felt it wasn't as strong as the the first time around. But again, I haven't yeah. sat with this one again. It becomes a little bit
0: more of like a a typical drama once Mm. it becomes a courtroom drama. We've seen versions of the courtroom drama before. And while I do think this is a particularly vital one, uh, it's not breaking new ground cinematically. Whereas I think Steve McQueen is a director who his take on everyday life is something that's a little bit more. Uh, unique I guess so that, that might be that juxtaposition you're yeah. feeling between the first half of Mangrove and the second half of Mangrove uh, but let's also talk about Lovers Rock which is just about the most delightful movie that I've seen in the last couple of months uh, it's a movie that I want to live inside of because the vibe is just so good I, it, you know it's been too long since I've been surrounded by music and people and it's something that I miss desperately and we'll get back to as soon as I can uh, but until then I will just rewatch watch Rock rock because there's just some scenes in this movie that are transportational uh the the silly game scene where all of the parties start singing along to that song at once you don't you don't you just want to be in that room with those people you know
1: I don't know how you get mangrove then tune in the following week and get lovers rock. Um, I personally <laughs> and then flip it back
0: again with red, white, and blue know, the next week.
1: And I don't even know what the other two are going to be, but yeah, I think you hit it perfectly when you hyped it up to me when you had caught it in New York. Um, I'm not a fan of people dancing in movies. I always think it's really weird. You know, they're doing the little thing. I you know I could think of like Miss America or you know even Scarlett Johansson's dancing in Marriage Story. Every animation ends with dancing. I realized watching this movie where they dance the entire time. Oh. It's because y'all don't know how to dance. This movie, you're dancing with them. Now, granted, it's you you are in the party. They don't Mm -hmm. play a song, a snippet, you catch it and go. You are at the party with long sequences of them dancing to the music. But it's not just like they're stopping the story for you to dance. During the dance, people are eyeing each other. During the dance, Mm -hmm. other things are happening. People are leaving, people are connecting. But they're also dancing like I've never seen in other movies before. Uh, and that is what sells it. It is the music. Yeah. It is the cinematography. It is these characters who are literally there to have a great time. Uh, and it takes place in one day, if I'm not mistaken, right? It's- yeah,
0: I, lo- I love that it starts before the party as you see them setting it up. You know, you see them moving couches and bringing in the boombox. And I-, I love that little coda at the end where you see them go home, uh, where-, where you see them climb into bed again. That last shot was just so perfect. Uh, It's a very, very fun movie. Even if there are maybe like a couple uh, moments where it gets intense, I feel like that's a thing that happens at parties, you know? Mm -hmm. Like that parties have a little bit of like an up and down nature to them. And it's all reflected in this movie, which I found to be beautiful. And when you take Uh, the
1: small acts part of it and look at it as a series, you know, they're all having a great time. But a character goes out, sees a couple people and goes, we're still... We're still in the world. <laughs> and yeah. it centers in you reality. back into the yeah. movie. But I like that. I really like what he covered in this film. And just all the joy that was captured on screen. Yeah. Simply put. So
0: we'll talk We'll talk a little bit more about Red, White, and Blue, as well as the other two parts of Small Acts in the coming weeks on Intercut. But suffice to say, we're definitely going to recommend it. It's, it's a new movie Steve, Steve McQueen. McQueen. <laughs> yeah. But that's about all for this week's show. So you can catch more from me, Zach Shevich, by following me on Twitter, Instagram, or Letterboxd, at Z Zshevich, that's Z-S-H-E-V, as in virtual theaters, I-C-H art where can people find more from you
1: you can find me over at LME explain on Twitter uh, on YouTube we've been doing live streams over there so we have even more what we've been watching because we know there's so much uh, so we're we've been practically uh, every Monday going through the letterbox stuff and just yeah. listing everything that's coming out on a weekly basis and as you know over here on intercut we try to hit up uh, all the festivals and stuff to get you even early stuff but just trying to trying to get as many movies on your radar as possible so uh, yeah catch me over on LME explain or or catch me here every week on the Intercut podcast. You
0: can listen to every episode of the Intercut podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, or your favorite podcatcher. I like Overcast. And then make sure you subscribe not just to the audio feed, but to the video feed as well on YouTube.com slash Intercut pod, where you can watch our bright, smiling faces as we break down the latest in entertainment. Find new episodes of Intercut every Friday. And please leave a comment. Like the video. Consider heading over to iTunes to give us that five-star review. Shout out to our listeners in Great Britain and Portugal. Thank for you on the tv and film podcast charts out there like our facebook instagram and twitter pages all of them are at intercut pod to get updates throughout the week from art from me from all the guests that we feature here on intercut thanks again for tuning in and until next time Yachimash.